Let us keep our hearts tender. Let, our, let us keep our words true as, as much as we can. Because this is what you and I are about. We know there is no answer but to draw the circle wide, as the choir sang, and try to love each other across our divisions. We bear witness against unnecessary destruction. And then we gather in community here week after week to practice being the person that we say we want to be. We cannot do everything, but we can do something. And that something is never nothing, is it? Is it? So let us forget our perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. And say with me, that is how the light gets in. So friends, before our prayer this morning, we're kind of mixing up the order of service today, um, before reflections from Heather and Emily, some words for us about this monthly theme of ours that we came up with in June, the worship associates did, on communion and simplicity and the sharing of tinky bread and uh, wine. (laughs) I think it's like a cranberry grape mashup. As, as Heather and Emily will attest or can attest to you in the receiving line this morning, your senior minister, this Catholic kid who grew up holding the gold-plated tray beneath the Catholic priest as he gave communion, and I was there like six times a week doing that, I came to this invitation to bring communion to us that didn't have water in front of the word or flowers in front of the word with, there is no other word for it, angst. (laughs) Why is that? Why was I feeling that way? These are the reasons, to name just a few of them. I remembered what I I had tried to forget is maybe the biggest reason that the priest I just mentioned, his name was John Hess, spent three years in prison in the early 2000s. I think actually when I was here, my mom called me one day in my first years of ministry here. She said, you know, remember that priest at Our Lady of Lords that you, that you went to for nine years? Yeah, well, he's in jail for something terrible that he had on his computer and his hard drive in the rectory. And as I needed another reason, communion became tainted and corrupted for me because I couldn't separate that from the sacrament. That's a big reason. How about another reason? Well, the Christian sacrament of communion has been weaponized by the religious right. I mean, just a few weeks ago, Joe Biden was prevented from receiving communion when he went down to the South because of his his positions on abortion. And the parish priest said, you are not, you're not gonna sit at this welcome table. Mr. Biden. All right, so that's, that's another reason for some angst. 
And then this reason for, and maybe this is the biggest of all actually, I have known all of you for such a long time. And we come from, you and I, from Christian heritage. We come from Jewish heritage. We have a couple people that come from Muslim heritage. We have people that come from, I don't know what heritage I am. They have people that come, just a few of you, from Unitarian Universalist heritage. And then this practice of communion, which we've never done here, and it's Christian connotation, even though remember that Jesus was a Jew, and the thing that he called the Last Supper was a Passover. I mean, it can just, let's just call it plain, it can just feel excluding or painful or just like, I mean, let's just keep doing water and flowers. Thank you very much. I mean, all of that is a reason not to do it. As the two of them and, and Sarah in our worship meeting on every Thursday for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this. I mean, Emily was in my office, we we're talking to Heather the other day, and she had her Mac open. We were talking about communion, and Siri all of a sudden pipes up, sorry, I do not have enough information and understanding to comment on that. No lie. So even Siri, is not sure about this. But, damn it, this is what's annoying about Unitarian Universalism and being in religious community. This is what is, it's annoying, is that it asks us to do hard things. This is like the good, bad news. And one of them, Nathan, is to explore what it might mean to take back the rituals and the traditions from the hurt, from the history, from the wounds, from the religious rite, and claim them for ourselves. I mean, speaking entirely for myself, okay? The only way to get over allergies is through exposure. And sometimes I think that my religious, spiritual immune system is a little bit overreactive. Are you with me? Do we have any fellow immune system overreactors in, the, in our midst? Look at all these hands, right? What this is about is not anything, do, we're not doing anything to you your ministers, your, we're not. Here's why I'm trying to get over my angst. Here's why. We have, we're about to be catapulted into the, the family season. <laughs> All of you have little stories about what that means. We're at the welcome table, even though we know how, look, how there are people not at the table with you this year because they have died. There are people that, that you disagree with politically. They're, they're, that welcome table is tense. It can be tense. 
And we're also in this midst, you and I, maybe you, maybe you wasted your time like I did this week and, and watched some of the, and listened to the impeachment hearings. And we, we know that we are in a time now when, as a country, we can't even, we can't even agree on what the truth is because we have segmented ourselves into different places so much that we are hearing different stories of fact and truth and reality. Communion, which simply means that, to bring together, to have some common unity, we need a way to practice with our bodies this idea that we can all be brought together to a table together. We need not just to think about it, we need to do it. And in Unitarian Universalism, we are primed and poised, my friends, to honor the Christian connotation, but also remember that this is the simplest of things to do, to gather people at the table in this time of DACA at the Supreme Court, in this time of those kids and those families wondering if they will be at the table this year after the Supreme Court votes. We need to preach against the status quo that says some are in and some are out. And we do that not by listening to ministers. We do that by sacraments that remind us that all of us need nourishing. That is why I invite you with me to get over the angst. Okay? Good morning. So when I was a kid going to church, the Episcopal church with my family, I thought communion was a snack to get you through church. <laughs> I mean, church is so long, especially when you're a kid, the least they could do was give you a cracker and some juice. When I was a teenager, I had a born again phase. Full disclosure, mostly because I had a crush on a boy, so I went to his church, which was an evangelical church. And so during communion in those services, I really, really struggled hard to accept the idea that I was given, being given the actual body and blood of Jesus. But to be frank, my teenage self would have described it this way, it was icky. And I wasn't sure that the boy was worth all that ickiness. It was then that I actually started to question the literal interpretations of religion that I had heard around me in these services, and to an extent had also been taught by my family growing up, that the bread and the wine actually turn into the body and blood of Jesus, that everything that happened in the Bible was true, and that God was watching me and judging me all the time. I liked the teachings of Jesus, but I thought, this is what it takes to be a Christian? Count me out. And that was the beginning of a very long absence from the church. These days, as I have reshaped and reformed my understanding of what religion looks like for me, and even embraced the idea that religion can look for me differently than the way it looks for other people, the idea behind the ritual of communion has evolved. I went to an environmentally justice-themed worship service several years ago, and during communion, we were asked to consider interpreting that ritual as a communion with the earth, 
with the bounty of nature that literally feeds us in the bread and the wine. That resonated incredibly strongly for me. It spoke to many of my values, and it opened a door for me that I didn't even know was there into other interpretations of what communion could mean for me. Another time, the communion ritual was presented um, so that each person passed bread and wine to the person next to them. It wasn't done by a minister, it was done by the people in the congregation. So the bread and wine worked its way around this big circle, every person feeding the one next to them. The intent was for us to contemplate how we are fed by our community and how we are nourished deeply by the connections that we have with each other. But perhaps the most meaningful interpretation of communion, the one that has evolved purely out of my own searching for meaning in my faith, has entirely to do with Jesus. Not the body and blood of Jesus, and not that story, but the Jesus that fed the 5,000, the Jesus that befriended the outcasts, the Jesus that healed the sick. That Jesus, Jesus taught me that all people deserve to be fed. That those that deserve nourishment the most were the very people struggling on the margins of society, cast out by those with wealth and power, especially those struggling with poverty and homelessness, like the Family Promise families that we are going to be hosting here this week. They got to go to the front of the line before the rich and the powerful, because Jesus said the last will go first and the first will go last. So in our own way this week, we are putting the last in the front of the line by hosting the Family Promise here, and I'm very proud of the commitment this congregation has made to support that work. So when I take communion today, I will be thinking about that call to feed the most hungry, to seek justice for those that are oppressed, to move the poor and the marginalized to the front of the line. And I remember that the Jesus I seek to follow wasn't afraid of upending structures of oppression, or speaking truth to power, or being a voice for the voiceless. That Jesus is one of justice, and taking communion with those teachings in my mind and on my heart will feed my calling to seek the same justice in our world. Amen. So as many of you know, I was raised in a Unitarian Universalist church about an hour from here. And in the 1990s and the early 2000s, as a child and a youth, I came away with two very strong messages from my faith community. One, Christianity is bad and harmful because it has hurt people. And two, it is wrong to borrow rituals from other religious traditions that you're not a part of because borrowing without asking is actually stealing. So what is a ritual-loving UU minister to do? In the church of my childhood, the language of faith was discouraged. Words like God, rituals like communion, Jesus was barely mentioned at Christmas or Easter. And in some ways, it felt like a sanitized and secularized version of religious community. And this is understandable, given the real harms that Christianity has done and had, had done to people that I loved. 
But fast forward to college, when I was considering attending seminary to become a minister, and I was asking other young adults who had been raised universal, Unitarian Universalist about what they had considered when they went into the ministry. And another older young adult who was in seminary said to me, you know, I know Unitarian Universalism through and through. What I didn't know was how to pray. And I realized I was raised in a church where the predominant story of religion was a story of harms done, of exclusions, of abuse and hypocrisy, but that was not the church that I was being raised in. It was not the inclusive, loving community that I knew from my childhood, and that was contrasted by the story of religion that was an exclusive and hurtful story coming from the, chi the childhoods of those adults in my congregation, those adults teaching my RE classes. And this is actually a fairly common phenomenon in Unitarian Universalism. And I think it's one that I love this church for actively working to, to weave those stories, those multiple stories of religious paths together. This church does that in one of the most beautiful ways I've ever seen. But the stats, so here are some interesting statistics related to this. I've heard these stats are a little bit old now, but one of them is that almost 90% of the adults in our Unitarian Universalist congregations nationwide were not raised Unitarian Universalist. And another statistic is that over 90% of the youth who are raised in these congregations, in our congregations, will leave Unitarian Universalism. And this is another sermon entirely. Why this is the case, what we're doing to change that. But for me, part of my story of staying connected to Unitarian Universalism, of being one of the small number of youth raised in this faith who stay in this faith, part of that story for me was a commitment to reclaim and to remember and to restory our Unitarian and Universalist history to help create a spiritual home both for those who have been raised in this tradition and those who have come from other traditions, and to claim our rituals and our traditions, to claim that this faith that I love has a real depth of history and theology that is purely ours and that does not have to be defined primarily by the harms done by other denominations. And so I very intentionally went to a Christian seminary. I wanted to know more about the liberal Christianity that our faith had grown out of. I wanted to connect more to the history of Unitarian Universalism. And I wanted to participate in the rituals and the scripture that had shaped our, the faith of our UU ancestors. When I was at Andover Newton Theological School, taking communion from an open table, welcoming all as they believed Jesus did, was a powerful experience, where they prefaced it with, whether you believe a little or a lot, where they said there were no barriers of belief or confession, where they used language of God's love embracing all, of creating heaven here on earth, of Jesus dying not for our sins, but because he preached community and love and welcome, and he threatened empire so much that it cost him his life. That was a communion I could take. That was a communion that included me. And the thing is, I have always longed to participate in rituals that are older than me, that are older than anyone I know. Our chalice lighting only entered Unitarian Universalist worship in the 1980s. It's a ritual I love, but it doesn't feed that need of mine, 
that need to connect me to the ancient ancestors that connects us across time and space and connects us to the community around us. And communion does this for me. It's an ancient practice, an embodied ritual, both ancient and future, thus breaking of bread. Humans will always need to do this breaking of bread together. For me, it's a ritual of resisting empire while building community. And for me, and I speak for myself here, this ritual is a ritual that feels truly and authentically ours as Unitarian Universalists. And as the great prophet and teacher Jesus taught, Jesus who loved the poor and the oppressed, who sought to create the kingdom of heaven here on earth, Jesus gathered his beloveds on the last night of his life before empire would take his life, and together they celebrated the feast of Passover. And with bread and wine, Jesus asked his disciples to remember his teaching and carry on his work to build the beloved community here on earth. So we, thank you, I'm a little taller than you. So we break this bread, and I want to thank, by the way, Megan Bransfield and Deb Boyce and, and uh, Dara uh, Bryans for making our bread this morning. We acknowledge our dependence upon and responsibility for the earth which has provided us with this loaf. We acknowledge our lives are physical and spiritual, and they're sustained and nourished by the lives and work of everyone around us. We share this bread and we offer a wonderful thanksgiving for all that must be done and should be done to bring nourishment to our tables. We break this bread, we share this loaf, we proclaim that we are one, and we belong with those who came before us, our beloved Tinky, of course, and all of us in this tradition, this space that has been here since 1826. Imagine that. Communion, I'm sure, in this space. We connect with those people across time. We are, you and I, the bread of this life together. Pouring out this wine, or cran grape juice as it were, we commemorate people of all ages who have poured themselves into the search for beauty, for truth, for goodness and love. Human beings, great and small, remembered and unremembered, who searched down new paths for a greater love that all might share, who have brought us closer to that great love that generations have sometimes named God. Pouring out this wine, we sing out gratitude beyond utterance for the goodness and for the love around us and within us, which shows to us the beloved community, the kingdom of God, which we are both striving for and which is already here. Pouring out this wine, we remember people and systems who have failed us, who have betrayed their own humanity, who championed the wrong causes, who persecuted the righteous and the innocent. Even these contribute to our lives, making clear to us by the contrast of their living the path of wisdom, truth, and love. Pouring out this wine, sharing this wine, we seek the power to be a part of the creation 
of heaven on earth. This is the cup of heaven. So friends, we would like to invite all who wish to participate in our ritual of communion forward to share this bread and this wine. 